0: Jesus Christ, by his great mercy we have been born anew through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let us pray. O God, you are most glorious. You are the one true living God. And we pray now that you would fill your church with the power that flows from Christ's resurrection, so that in the midst of this sinful world it may signal the beginning of a renewed humanity, a new life with you, risen in Jesus Christ and joined with him. We pray that our worship would be joined with that host of heaven that is worshiping you now, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 286, Worship Christ the Risen King. Christ our Passover lamb as scripture refers to him Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us let us therefore rejoice by putting away all malice and evil and confessing our sins with a sincere and true heart do you ever think of confession of sin that way as rejoicing but you you can because of Christ's victory over death and sin let us pray together God of heaven and earth Who has sent your blessed Son into the world to redeem sinners, we confess that we are such sinners. We have not loved our neighbor as we ought. We have spurned your ways, delighting in ourselves more than you. We have violated your commands and have chosen death rather than life. Yet you have remembered us with loving kindness, even after we fell under your judgment. As you have raised your blessed and holy Son, Jesus Christ, from death to life, so now pardon us of our sin and raise us from death to life for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. People of God, hear the good news. Jesus Christ is the one ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin, trusting in him, are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel. Let us say, praise be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, give ear to the apostles' teaching of our new way of life in Jesus Christ. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, always and for everything, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. This passage is in Ephesians and Colossians, and that uh, bit in there about addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs directly relates to what we do in worship. It's it's really embedded, first of all, in Christian worship, where we sing to the Lord in praise, but we're also listening to each other sing. We're singing the same words, the same song, and so there's an address going to each other as well in our praise to God. It's a good way to understand our communion with God and with each other. And so we are called to be attentive to that and to embrace that and and, and, um, enjoy that as we participate in it. And in doing so, we are bearing witness to our God, and uh, to our being joined together as his family. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say amen. Our hymn is number 278, That Easter Day with Joy So Bright. Yesterday with joy was bright, the sun shone out. That Christ has risen from the grave. O Jesus, King of gentleness, do Thou Thyself our hearts possess, that we may give Thee all our days. The for oh. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Almighty and eternal God, who in Jesus Christ is our Father, we give you thanks and praise, not just for creating us, being our origin, our source, the beginning of our life, but also our Father who redeems us, protects us, cares for us, and takes us as as your own through Christ. You are indeed the hope of the nations, for it's not just us who need you as our Father. It's everyone, the whole world. And so you are the one who brings your kingdom into this world through Christ. In Jesus Christ, your love is made visible, and you bring home the lost and you restore sinners. We praise you because you did not abandon him in the grave, but you raised him up. We praise you that in him your redemption has invaded the present and that in union with Jesus Christ, we both are and shall be raised and made new. We praise you that through him you flood our lives with your overflowing grace and truth. We thank you for Jesus' sinless life, his death and resurrection, his ascension and continual intercession for us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit with whom the risen Christ is present with us and who rules and directs our lives. We thank you that Jesus Christ comes and is really present with us as we partake of the communion meal. Give us faithful, keep us faithful and obedient, both as individual Christians and as your church. Enable us to live as citizens of your heavenly kingdom. Help us to remember you and live our lives trusting you. Help us to read your word so that we know what the way of your kingdom is. Establish us, we pray, as witnesses to what is real and true, to your new order. Govern and direct your church, fill it with love and truth, and grant it that unity which is your will. And give us boldness to proclaim the gospel in all the world, and for your church in coordination to make disciples of all the nations. Here are our prayers, then, for our missionaries, for Sam Fulta and Mike McCabe in China, for Hirohakobor in Ukraine and their families and the churches in those nations. Hear our prayers. We pray you would inspire all of the leaders in the church and its members with the Holy Spirit that by their teaching and their lives, they may proclaim the good news of the gospel. We thank you for those who are ordained in the ministry of the church, like Jonathan Cruz and Marcus Jerriman in Kalamazoo, Jerry Newmeyer, Steve Igo, Mick Canerim at in Hudsonville, Grand Rapids. We pray you'd bless those churches to grow and bring the gospel to many in those cities. Give your people grace to hear and receive your word and to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. Bring into the way of the truth of the gospel all who do not trust you and who walk in the way of sin. Here are prayers for those who do not believe and do not confess faith in Jesus Christ. Strengthen those who are weak. Comfort and help the faint-hearted. Raise up the fallen. And finally, we pray, you would destroy the forces of evil in this world. We praise you that Jesus Christ has defeated them. and We pray that the day will come when they are removed and gone. Guide the leaders of the nations in the ways of peace and justice and righteousness. And to this end, hear our prayers to the people of Ukraine, Afghanistan, Nigeria, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Myanmar, North Korea, Mexico, and other such places where there is much armed conflict, violence, and where the the people who live there, the population there, as well as the Christians are being attacked. Hear our prayers for these places. May our leaders govern with humility under the law and learn what is good for society. May they have a sense of a higher order than just what society decides is is expedient. Remove the blindness from them. Grant them wisdom, O God. Watch over those who administer the law that they may uphold justice and honesty and truth. And we pray you would bless and keep safe your church in this nation. Hear our prayers. Help and comfort the lonely and the bereaved. Deliver all who are in danger. We pray you would heal the frail and the ill and keep firm in faith those who are approaching the end of their lives. We pray for Luca and Julie, Frida, Eduardo, Leah, Jeff, and Fawn, and for our friends Becky, Angie, Tom, Phil, Bob, Chris, Gladys, Dominic, and Karen. Give them grace to trust you, and hear us now, O Fathers, we pray for these, and others we name to you in silence. Fulfill now, O Lord, the desires and requests of your servants as may be most beneficial to us, granting us in this world the grace of your presence and the knowledge of your truth, and in the world to come, life everlasting. and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
1: Please be seated. And join me as we pray for God's illumination on our reading this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for a chance to gather in your name and listen to it. We pray that you would open our ears and that you would open our hearts, make them soft soil for... uh, Planting of your seeds, that what we hear today would remain with us in the days and weeks to come. And may we be uh, edified and rejuvenated in listening to your wisdom. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 25. Our Psalter response comes from Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2, and 14 through 24. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his has the Let Israel say, for
2: his has the,
1: the Lord is my strength and my song. He has my salvation. Glad songs of salvation. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right, hand of the, Lord the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has, the but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. That I may enter through them. And give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. I thank you that you have answered me. The stone that the builders rejected. This is the Lord's doing. This is the day that the Lord has made. Our epistle reading comes from Acts chapter 10. Verses 34 through 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, Finally, our Gospel reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, the first eight verses. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought space, spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word of the Lord.
0: Well, do you feel like you missed something, that we're celebrating Easter and nobody else knows it? <laughs> uh, you almost want to say, Christ is risen, and you would say, yeah, indeed, right. That's So our service is very much has that whole tone of, of Easter Christ Christ's resurrection, and it should be obvious now why that is. We've come to the end of the Gospel of Mark, and it's the story of Jesus' resurrection. Um, actually, we shouldn't be that surprised by a sermon or a worship service relative to Christ's resurrection. Um, one of the things the Puritans did, in my opinion, they, they uh, stripped some things away from Christian worship and practice that didn't need to be, in fact, shouldn't have been stripped away. But one of the things they emphasized was that every Sunday, is a celebration, it's the Lord's Day, it's the celebration of the Lord's resurrection. So they understood that and they saw the pattern of the week starting with that reality of Christ's resurrection, the week for you know, for Christians. So uh, every Sunday is that, and sometimes we, we forget that when we remember the calendar, we follow the church calendar, and we have the celebration of Easter, Christ's resurrection coming later um, in the spring. And we forget that, no, it's true year-round. And that's really the case with everything about all the events of Christ's life. They're all true and impact us as Christians year-round. So his death, his resurrection, um, his birth, all of it. But this morning we've come to uh, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And it's the the glorious triumph of uh, Christ coming forth from the tomb and a great story about that. In our gospel lesson this morning, three women come to the tomb to tend to Jesus' body, and they're named. They're Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and Salome. And what was happening here was a tragic routine. It was performed every day across this world, uh, the world in their day, and, and it continues today. Someone dies, and there are those who see to the proper care of the body. Now, in Jesus' day, it was the family and the friends, these caregivers would hold the lifeless, limp body in their hands and wash it, and sprinkle perfumed oil on it. Carefully, the body would be wrapped and laid out in its tomb. In our day, this care has been turned over by requirement of the state to the funeral homes. They tend to the body for us. I think it's part of our, our uncomfortableness with death, or, or just maybe our our uh, bureaucratic sense of organization that that wants to make sure everything's done properly. And obviously there are people who could abuse the whole um, care for a body if they um, did some criminal act and decided they wanted to hide a body. So it's it's become a responsibility the state wants to manage, and they've given that over to the funeral homes, and they tend the body. Either way, though, it doesn't really matter whether it was the way it was in Jesus' day or the way it is today, it is a routine that's played out every day. The routine of death. Sometimes it's violent death. It's the great loss of a person, someone created in God's image. There's deep sadness. A terrible hole is ripped into the heart of the living. And that was the case for these three women and the followers of Jesus back in that day. And it's the same thing that we experience today. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome went to the tomb, tomb of Jesus in order to anoint his body in that routine process of death. Very routine. But the tragic routine of this world's not just death. It's also the routine of sin and decay. Live long enough, and I'm getting to that point. I'm 61 years old. If you live long enough, it will start to come into focus for you. You might be able to get away with some kind of idealism when you're young, when you're a college student, when you're in your 20s or your teens, you might have great expectations about how the world's going to be when you get older, but as you live long, long enough, you begin to see things come into focus, and one of those things is the routine of conflict and violence in this world. Treaties between nations. I've lived long enough to see treaties that have been made between nations, and there's huge optimism um, that comes with that, and they last for a few years, and then they slowly become obsolete or are ignored. The routine of conflict between the nations reoccurs again and again throughout history. And nations turn against nations. Allies walk away from each other. Maybe they even give each other up to their enemies. And you begin to see this process worked out over and over again. The routine of exploitation. One nation exploiting another. Every nation has exploited others for its own gain. It's always amusing to me. Not amusing. It bothers me when I hear of a nation or a a sizable population in a nation, pointing the finger at someone some other group and saying, you know, you've done these horrible things to us, and that probably is all very well true, but then not stopping to think about how we've done things like that to other people. Every group, people group, has taken advantage of others who are weak. No community... No nation, no race, no community of people can point the finger at others and say, we have not done the same in our history. In the public square, there is the routine of lies and deceit and broken promises, animosity, intimidation, harassment, immorality, abuse, distortion, theft, graft, favoritism. And these routines are played out and they erode human life. They are routines played out day after day, year after year, century after century. And one of the consequences of studying history is seeing the pattern of sin in this world. And each one of us has lived this tragic routine. Nations elevate it to large proportion. So it it takes on a huge proportion with nations. But it's right here also with each one of us, that routine of sin and decay. Not just the routine of life that routine of sin, the routine of lies and intimidation, revenge, debasing others, taking what doesn't belong to us, the list goes on and on. And it, it takes on a routine for individuals. Again, when we've lived long enough, we see the routine of sin running through humanity. Over the weeks, through the years, the tragic routine is here. And then, all of a sudden, there is this burst of Jesus' resurrection in history. It was an unexpected, alarming break. Now, in a number of ways, the Gospel of Mark shows this to us, and it begins with the sun in our text. Mark tells us the women came to Jesus' tomb very early in the morning, and the sun was rising. The brilliant, fiery orb breaking over the edge of the horizon, its first reddish-yellow light shining upon the world. Now, this is not an incidental detail in the gospel that's simply there as some kind of time, time marker. Oh, that's when they went. No, it's, it functions much more than that. The early church's preaching of the gospel associated Jesus' resurrection with the sun at daybreak. It's a great metaphor. I mean, have you ever seen this? I'm sure you have. The sun breaking up over the horizon, and you don't stare at it. It's that brilliant. The Apostle John describes the risen Jesus standing among the churches and he uses this imagery of the sun in in his uh, book of Revelation. It says, in his right hand he held the seven stars and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. The Apostle Paul refers to the dawn of Jesus' resurrection in his exhortation to the church in Rome. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. The church has used Isaiah's imagery for Jesus, calling him the light or the great light. He's the son of righteousness, to use Malachi's words. So using the metaphor of the sun, Jesus is the light, that, the day that breaks out over the whole world. Churches picked up on this, and eventually in the medieval uh, ages in Europe, especially like in Germany... They would have these the pageantry of the Easter sunrise service. Have you ever been to one of those? I, I was one. And our church in Greeley, Colorado even had one once. It was a popular time in the medieval church, and it still is for many churches today. Some congregations have a special sunrise service outside in the open air to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, as the service is going on, and the words being preached, and they're worshiping and giving thanks to God for the the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the sun is breaking in the background. It's 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 a wonderful uh, lived kind of uh, experience for worship. And so, the Gospel of Mark tells us the event of Jesus' resurrection is like the sun breaking over the horizon at dawn. Related to the sunrise is the new day. When the sun rises a new day begins, Mark makes sure to tell us that the Sabbath was passed and the women went to the tomb on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And that also is significant. These are not just time markers. Again, this was picked up by the apostles in their preaching and teaching. Paul uses the metaphor of day and night in his letters to the churches. And he wasn't talking about a calendar day and night. I mean, there are places where that, that kind of thing is, is done to explain how the, the week was progressing. But when Paul's using it for his theology and talking about Jesus, he's not talking about the calendar day and night. He spoke of the new day of Jesus Christ that had dawned with Jesus' resurrection. And so, for example, this is what, how he instructed the church in Thessalonica. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And he said to the church in Colossae, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And that kingdom its implied there in, in using what he says earlier about inheritance of the saints of light. It's the kingdom of the day. The sudden burst of Jesus' resurrection is also there in our gospel reading with the angel in the empty tomb. In the routine of this world, an empty tomb does not mean there was a resurrection. That's not what people think of when they find an empty tomb. And there are plenty of theories that substantiate that, theories about what happened. In, in our world, the theory is not resurrection. It's something else. Some of those theories are even mentioned in the Bible because back in the day when Jesus rose from the dead, there were theories about from those who did not believe, from the Jews and others, about what happened to Jesus' body. There was an explanation given by the chief priests in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus' disciples had stolen his body <clears throat> in order to make it look like he was alive, to perpetuate the cult of Jesus, if you will. Or Mary in the Gospel of John, who supposed the gardener had removed Jesus' body. You see, that's thinking along the routine ways of this world. A modern secular answer is that Jesus died and he just stayed dead. His disciples made up the story of his resurrection and for centuries people have believed it because they're desperate to believe in God. So the modern theory is just the disciples made it up. But in our gospel lesson, the angel interprets what happened to Jesus. He's risen, he's not here. That's the interpretation of why the grave was empty. Jesus was raised, and that breaks the routine of this world. The routine is that when someone is killed, they are dead. Their heart stops permanently, their brain is inactive, they have breathed their last. In the course of this world, someone whose heart has stopped, maybe they might be resuscitated, bodies might be moved and hidden, but that's as far as it goes. And there are some today. I'll have to make allowances for those who believe there are zombies. <clears throat> the walking dead that are just sort of half alive, half dead. And so maybe that's what happened. That's what we say, at least in our, in our movies. However, resurrections don't happen. A true resurrection doesn't happen. That's not what we think of in the routine tragic pattern of this world. You see, a resurrection is not resuscitation. It's when someone who has died is raised up into new life by God, old life, a new life, not just some continuation of the old life. Resurrection is being raised into new life. The world's explanations of what happened to Jesus want to keep him in the old routine of this world, whether he's alive or dead. Even if they are grant that he somehow came back to life, they want to keep him in the routine, tragic routine of this world. The testimony of Scripture is that Jesus, killed on the cross, was raised to begin the new life of God's salvation, a new day, not somehow returning to the old day. And that's exactly what the angel's message to the women at the tomb. He is risen. And there's one more way Mark shows us the burst of Jesus' resurrection in the routine of this world. It's with the response of the women to the message of the angel. Our text says they were alarmed. Now, in the mercy of God, the angel comforted them, telling them not to be alarmed. But the last thing that Mark tells us as they fled the tomb is for fear, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's the last word of this text, afraid. The response of the women also indicates that Jesus' resurrection did not come from the routine of this world. This is a, a kind of trembling and fear before something that has is, is not doesn't fit the routine of the world. The resurrection of Jesus is an act of God. And all who understand this rightly shake in awe and reverence. It's God's salvation. It's God's in-breaking into this world. But the angel comforts us who tremble before the mighty act of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. So again... It's pointing to the fact that the resurrection has broken, has burst into the routine of this world. So running through Mark's account of Jesus' resurrection is that is that the tragic routine of this world is broken, and we all need to consider that more deeply. It's a break, like the splitting in half of a huge oak tree, and I'm not trying to focus on the two halves of the oak tree laying there, but what... Sp- smacked it and broke it in half, if as if it was broken and struck by lightning. The lightning is like what Christ's resurrection is breaking into this world. Or it's like a rupture from a knife cutting the carotid artery on something. It's not the focus isn't on the carotid ar- artery. Something's happened to it, and the knife has caused it. It's like an ax falling down on the neck of a snake. Jesus' resurrection makes a decisive end to the old routine of sin and death. And that routine, the routine here, is much more than the routine of um, just little simple things. Here, we're talking about the significant, major routine of sin and death and corruption and decay in this world. Now, a lot of people who live in our in our country in the West uh, have an experience of of um, on we of boredom with life, monotony, the dullness of life. We feel that because we have such luxury and so many things that can be done for us, um, that we begin to just feel you know that, that sort of existential feeling of this dullness. I remember reading a book about a man. I wish I could find the title of this. it's considered a classic, although it, it was um, in, one of my professors told me about it. It was written, I think, in the 1950s, but it was about a man who worked at a bank. And it basically just told the story of one day in his life. So the book is one day in his life, and it's about 300 pages long. That right there tells you this is going to be something. So it begins when he waked up in the morning, and it follows his day literally minute by minute, action by action, decision by decision. It was, like I said, something like 300 pages of this. And so I'm someone who perseveres in my reading. (laughs) I got to about, about two-thirds of the way through, and I couldn't take it anymore. It was just so dull. And it, that was the whole purpose of the book, to kind of show the existence that we'd fallen into. Modern man had fallen into this sort of dull existence. It was so monotonous, and I just, I just didn't finish the book. So we might think, okay, that's what we want God to break. We want God to break that kind of a routine, the routine of dullness and monotony with our work, with our lives. And God may providentially give you some kind of a, a uh, break in that, some kind of a, maybe a new job, or he teaches you to be grateful for what you have, something like that. But that's, that's so minor compared to the break that Jesus did with his resurrection. The routine of Jesus' res- resurrection breaks the r- tragic routine of this world, the tragedy of being born to die, the tragedy of death that comes because of sin, the tragedy of sin that corrupts and pollutes each one of us, The tragedy of moral pollution that harms others and destroys people's lives and ruins human society. The tragedy of God's judgment for our sin. It's the tragedy of your life that's ravaged and wrecked by this sin in this world. Jesus' resurrection breaks that routine. Let's not minimize the routine that's being broken because we happen to be uncomfortable or is bored with our life. It's much more than that. He struck the death blow to the darkness of this world, and the new day of God's salvation has dawned. Oh yes, the tragedy of sin and death is still here in this world and in our life, but it's here like the oak tree struck in half lying on the ground. The strike has happened. It has been broken, and the or the body of the snake squirming beside its head the strike has happened and there's been this major disruption jesus christ has risen and for us who have faith in him a new day has begun and it's not a new day like one day follows another on the calendar it's not a new day like february 19th is followed by february 20th followed by february 21st for us it's the new day of god's salvation and this means the routine of sin and death is broken in our lives. You see, in Jesus Christ, we can turn away from sin. We can say no to sin. The routine of this world is to say yes to sin. And actually, it doesn't even want to call moral wrong sin, so the routine is more like a denial of sin. That's more the routine. People do do this, they just justify what they do. For example, there are those who justify abortion. They agree that it's wrong to take innocent human life, but abortion is justified because the life in the mother is said to be merely a fetus, not a distinct human life. Some have gone so far in their defense of abortion to call it a disease. There are pregnant women or women who get pregnant today who call what has happened to them a disease Pregnancy is an invasion of the woman's body, they say, like a virus, and therefore it can be justifiably removed. Stealing is justified because the other person, it's said, has more than I have, or it's decided that they don't need what they have. I decide that you don't need what you have, so I'm going to take it from you. Hatred and abuse of others is justified by claiming they're inferior to us and they deserve it. In the world, we can always find a way to excuse sin, and so the routine goes on and on and on. But Jesus Christ has broken the routine of sin, and so now we can confess our sin. Christ has made a way out for us. The resurrection of Jesus is like breaking open a prison cell and releasing us. Joined to Christ in baptism and faith, we are not trapped in our sin God forgives our sin and guilt through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And therefore, we are not imprisoned in our sin, and we have no need to justify it anymore. When you're caught in your prison cell and you want to make the best of it, you try to justify it, or you try to somehow make peace with it. But we don't have to do that because of Christ's resurrection. We don't have to do that with sin because he's given us a way out. Raised into the new life of Christ, we can confess our sin, turn away from it, and live in obedience to God. And it's the same for death. Jesus Christ breaks the tragic routine of death for us. Now, for some today, death is no big deal. It's just a passing on from one form of existence to another. But this is groundless optimism. How do you know where you're going? just, Just to think about it in terms of our world how do you know that you're not going to pass into a worse form of existence? In fact, there are some religions that would say that's exactly what could happen to you if you haven't lived a good enough life here. Others in our culture believe death is just the end. It's just there is no hereafter. So once we die, our life stops, we cease to exist. It's a fatalistic conclusion to our existence. Despite the call to face the end of our life courageously, it is hauntingly tragic. Now here again, Jesus' resurrection breaks this routine. Jesus is raised from death to life, the new life of God's redemption. With Jesus, there is life beyond death. That's what we're grounded on, our hope. Jesus, what he's done, not some maybe it'll be better. It's life with God. Jesus Christ breaks death's tragic hold on us. His resurrection is the basis of, of our faith in eternal blessedness with God. And this is what Christians often tell. There's there's something, it's it's in one form or another, Christians often tell those who threaten them with death. They, They can say to them, you may kill me here, but Jesus Christ will raise me up into that life that you cannot take from me. And so it is for all the other tragic routines of this old world. The risen Lord Jesus Christ has broken them. Now let's consider the the monumentalness of that for a minute. When the message of the gospel took root in Western culture, Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, were together recognized as the greatest, most powerful event that was marked in history. It's what you might call the break point in history. And everything... Before the coming of Christ was called B.C., right? Before Christ. And every year after Christ was called Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. And even today, we divide history this way, at least in the West. The greatest break in history is not between the primitive and the modern. Or 1492, when Columbus stumbled upon the Americas. It was the coming of Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead for our salvation, Now, modern secularism tries to remove Jesus Christ from the breakpoint of history by calling it BCE and CE, right? Before the Common Era, and then CE is the Common Era. And this is supposed to be less offensive to those who are not Christian, and I'm not suggesting we should be unnecessarily offensive, but when you have the greatest event that's happened and you mark history by that, that's nothing to apologize for. They can call it what they want, but the break point of history is still the coming of Jesus Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection. Isn't it interesting that you still, if you use the BCE and the CE, it's still tied to the time when Jesus was born and lived. So BCE and CE are acronyms that are still tied to the coming of Jesus Christ. That's how big Christian, the Christian West understood this coming of Jesus Christ, his birth, life, death, and resurrection. To mark history, this is where everything divides. This is where the break is. And yet the crucified and risen Jesus is not only the break point for history, he's the break point in our lives. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive and he encounters people today. He's not an absent Lord, an absent living Lord who just sits out there somewhere watching what's going on. He's not a deistic Lord He's encountering people, and he has encountered you. He is present with the preaching of his word and with the sacrament. There's a mystery there. We don't fully understand that, but he is present with it. We see that running through the, um, the book of Acts and through the epistles, and it continues. He encounters us. When he encounters us and turns us to himself in faith and repentance, it's the break point in our lives. What is the most significant event that's happened in your life? And as a Christian, we would say, it's Christ Jesus encountering me, so that now I belong to him. When he encounters us, the tragic routine is broken in our lives. It's a break with that old life of sin, and it begins the new life with God. Now, sadly, today, there are Christians who think that they can continue the old life of sin or some aspect of the old life of sin while they follow Jesus, They want to merge the new life of Christ with something in the old life of sin and death. They want to merge being raised up with Christ with a nationality or an ethnicity or a race or a sexual identity. They don't understand Jesus' resurrection. When the risen Jesus encounters us, the tragic routine of this world is broken for us. And Christians are not to try to hold on to it. Like we're going to, it's almost as if the continents are splitting and we're going to stand there and hold on to one side and and our feet on the other and we're going to try to hold it together. It can't hold together. When it's separating and dividing, when something has struck it, so it's coming apart, we can't hold that together and we shouldn't try. We should enjoy and rejoice being in that new, even though it means major changes in our lives, rejoice that that tragic routine has ended in Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to you and broken the tragic routine of sin and death in your life, and now you are to take the message of Jesus' resurrection to the world. In our text, the women heard the angel's message that Jesus was risen, and they ran away in terror and fear. I hope you don't do that after this worship service. I have never been quite sure how to take that. Honestly, I have not been quite sure, and you'll get different explanations of what happened there. It could be it was an appropriate response of fear and trembling because the significance of Jesus' resurrection was revealed to them. They were full of fear and trembling because it was the mighty act of God. He was ra- God raised his son from the dead. And in the Bible, when people see an act of God, they're alarmed. The almighty God, our creator, acting in this world, that knocks you over. And when you see it up close and personal, it's no small thing. Jesus' resurrection means a mighty upheaval for this world and for our lives, and so we should tremble at that. But the response of the women could be a kind of unfaithful fear and trembling. The women knew it was an overwhelming mystery of God, and they just wanted to get away as fast as possible. Mark does say they fled, and they said nothing to anyone. And if that's what it is, we're not to respond like these women. At least not right at this point in the gospel. But perhaps it's best to take the two interpretations together. We are to tremble and be filled with fear at Jesus' resurrection, even if we've heard it all our lives. So here you're sort of hearing Easter on February 19th. That's never happened before. I mean, not in terms of the church calendar. I don't think it's ever come this early in the uh, church year. So here you are uh, again, hearing that wonderful story of Jesus' resurrection, and the mighty act of God that breaks the r- tragic routine of this world. that should impact you. And pray I pray that God's spirit will use this word to do that. It's wonderful, it's alarming, and at the same time, because it, it's alarming at the same time because it means the routine that we've known so well, that we're so embedded in. That we're so used to, that's be, been a, such a big habit of ours, has been wrecked. And that should cause us fear and trembling. The old is passing away, the new has begun, and it will radically alter your life. That being said, we're to tell the world. We are to pass along the message of Christ's resurrection to others who are stuck in the tragic routine of this world. That's called love. To hold it to ourselves, to be glad that God has done this for me, for others, In the church is wonderful, but it shouldn't stop there because out of love, all these other people are caught in that tragic routine. Everyone must hear that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Everyone needs to hear it because everyone's caught up in that routine of sin and death. So now you must go into the world and tell people that Jesus Christ is risen. Let us pray. Almighty God who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we, who celebrate the joy of the day of the Lord's resurrection, may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. If you would, please stand and let us confess our faith with the creed. We believe in one God, almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance, the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 267, The Day of Resurrection. Thank you. Where we are met and nourished by the risen Lord, and where we have true fellowship with one another as co members of this one body. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We do welcome to this table all who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ, been baptized, and do belong in in, in good standing of the Christian church. You are to come to this table with a true faith in Jesus Christ, a sorrow for and willingness to turn from sin, and a determination relying upon God's grace to lead a godly life in peace with and love towards your brothers and sisters and with the world. Christian people, today we have been reminded that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, breaks the old order of sin and death in this world and in our lives. This day we have confessed our sin, received the assurance of God's forgiveness, we've heard God's call to live in love. So as you come to the supper, I exhort you to remember the grace that is yours in him and strengthened by the sacrament, receive Christ's life offered to you in the sacrament and go into the world bearing witness in what you do and say to the new life of Jesus Christ. Come to this meal with joy. Rejoice in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. Be strengthened by his gifts and find here the grace you need to follow where he leads. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is, right to give you and it is indeed good and right always and everywhere to give you thanks, almighty and eternal Father. For you have created us, you have given us all manner of good things in this life. But especially you have sent your Son Jesus Christ to die upon the cross for us. In the joy of his resurrection we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ and we praise you with the host of heaven who say holy 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 lord god of power and light heaven and earth are full of your glory hosanna in the highest and now we do rejoice that we might participate in christ's new new life that he has given for us that we are joined with him we remember that he was obedient even as he was delivered up to die we remember that you have glorified him and he was despised Even as he was despised and rejected by man, but you raised him up. So we glorify him and exalt him who is the author of life and the victor of our salvation. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, saying, dying you destroyed our death. Rising you restored our life. Lord Jesus, come in glory. We thank you that Jesus lives and he presents himself to us here. Come, O Holy Spirit, now and make this meal holy so that our eating of this bread and our drinking of this cup may be for us a communion in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and we be nourished and fed by him. Give us faith in him, and in this way may the new life of the risen Lord be our life both now and forever. Through Christ and with Christ and in Christ in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, Heavenly Father, forever and ever. We offer our thanksgiving with one voice and we say together, Amen. Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said unless you eat the flesh of the son of man you have no life in you but he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you receive it with faith and thanksgiving take and eat. Let us pray. Lord God, our Father, through our Savior Jesus Christ, you have assured your children of eternal life, and in baptism have made us one with Him. Deliver us from the death of sin and raise us to new life in your love, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and by the grace of your Lord Jesus of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The final hymn is number two seventy four Thine be the glory. Through the blood of the eternal covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen.
3: good morning. I will just bring your attention to um, items in the bulletin, such as our Christian ed classes um, today, after our time of fellowship, beginning the class, I should say, beginning at 11.45. Um, So I'll give you, I'll give you like, I'll I'll give you a, Five-minute warning. This this time I'll be the herald. Okay, but eleven forty-five. Um, we have uh, the prison ministry. Um, we will be scheduled to be there this Friday, so pray for that. In our last uh, last month's congregational meeting, we had the opportunity to. Th- Recognize and thank our accompanists, but Mr. Mesner was not with us, and so we want to um, express our thanks and our enjoyment of your of your playing. So, I have a card for you. I believe that's all I have. Is there anything else? This is remarkable, stunning even. Okay, let's enjoy
2: some coffee and goodies.